0: skeletons and shivers down your spine Shrieking skulls will shock your soul and seal your doom night. Spooky, scary skeletons Speak with such a screech You'll shake and shudder in surprise when you hear these zombies shrieking You hate me, so I have I have, um, just just because, like, so um I, I didn't so actually receive my glass so one shout, start oh. My brother Oh, and, okay. and it was just because uh, he's more of a bowl guy and didn't really give a shit. And he would much rather smoke a bowl and have stuff smell than smoke a bong and have stuff not smell. Okay. And he's also, like, lazy. So, like, they're harder to clean and harder to maintain and they're, like, more fragile. Yeah. Shit. And um, so before I got my first actual bong, which wasn't until three years ago I had been making them out of like recycled plastic containers mm-hmm. which is not healthy for you at all mind you like forewarning for listeners do not <laughs> do not solely consist of smoking weed out of plastic water bottles like you are most likely melting plastic and yeah. inhaling it in the process it's like bpa I'm probably like gonna die at a very young age now <laughs> because of how like I probably smoked out of Okay, so I wouldn't like, I wouldn't smoke out of the same one for like years or even months. It would be like a week or two, and then I would get rid of it the minute it started getting like Weird. brown edges yeah. or any kind of must. And it it was always like a a tall water bottle container. Mm-hmm. It was never like something that was like a soda or like caked in syrup or anything like that. So like it was always something. Of similar shape, and then I had, like, a, a piece that I would just stick into it, mm-hmm. like a, um, it was almost like a fake cigarette that you would be able to, like, put weed in on the top and walk around in public, and it will look like you're smoking a cigarette Oh. you're actually smoking weed. Okay. It was, like, metal, and the filter's on the bottom, so I just put that in the water, made, like, two little holes in the side of the water bottle, and then packed the bowl, and you just smoke it with the water in the water bottle. bomb that's amazing. I am an engineer. That's, that's incredible. <laughs> um, I mean, Did you I've, ever do that for like a science fair? I've, <laughs> yeah. Because you
1: would have won. You <laughs> I would have gotten the judges high. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> They would have been
0: like, you're tight, bro. <laughs> 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 this is gnarly. Um, I've, I've smoked out of like an apple before.
1: Okay. I've watched a video of someone making it. An and apple.
0: I've done the, the gravity bong in a um, toilet. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. I was desperate. No, I mean it's... It was also party atmosphere and I don't think the people had like a a tub.
1: Okay. How many how many dookies were in the toilet? No dookies. Dookie less Dookie list toilet. Yeah. They actually say you're supposed to use dookies with it. it gives <laughs> no, you, you don't. no, it does. <laughs> you're it does. Lying. No, it does. That's you're supposed sh- to duke you... shit vapors? Yeah. You get you get jankum. Absolutely not. You get a, a secondary jankum cross That's high Absolutely you not. Cross cross high it. Jankum yeah what's uh, that word
0: (laughs) jankum jankum you don't know jankum oh you mean like jank as a verb no
1: as in jankum you take a all the teenagers are doing it your teenagers is probably doing it and they're probably going to die because of it just FYI okay Um, you take a big glass bottle and you shit in it and then you put a balloon on top of the bottle and then the shit decomposes in like methane Uh and stuff and it fills up the balloon Mm -hmm. and then when you're like ooh time to get janked you take the balloon Mm -hmm. off and then you just you just inhale from the inhale balloon, the and, and you just get you get
0: squiggly. It's all the rage. All I the kids are doing. Just, it. I don't think that that's safe one. <laughs> and it's it's kind of ironic that you bring that up because even yesterday, talking with, um, his name was Where Am I? It's him literally just screaming, "Where am I?" <laughs> and um, he was talking about how people are now um, finding a way to uh vaporize certain kinds of alcohol yes and inhale that yeah the problem with that that we talked about for maybe a half hour was just like when you're getting drunk physically you could cap yourself off and if you happen to OD or um just intake like way too, like alcohol poisoning mm-hmm. like your stomach could be pumped and it could save your fucking life with vapor you're getting drunk, but there's no going back. And, like, right. apparently a lot, like, people are, like, ODing on it's the in your vapor bloodstream. because of your bloodstream. Oh,
1: yeah. Uh, yeah. That makes sense.
0: I still think Damn I admit, would want to try it. I know. Once. I was going
1: to try it too. and I was so excited. Now you brought that up, and it's a really good point. I
0: mean, I don't mean to get you paranoid. I, I doubt, like, taking a single hit of what is probably, yeah. like, a vaporized vodka is probably, right. like, the easiest thing right. to, like, convert. Um I don't know the process. I don't imagine it's anything similar to Jankum's. You uh, you <laughs> but... put a
1: little bit in a plastic bottle and then put a uh, cork and a bicycle pump, you put the needle, of the bicycle pump through the cork, and Shit, then you've
0: actually thought about doing
1: this. I've, I saw I saw a video of some guy doing it. And then you put the cork in the top of the bottle, pump, 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 and it aerates the liquid until you get kind of like a creamsicle. And then you just pop the cork in the nail. Do you have a bike pump?
0: Uh yeah. Okay, so we could do this next time. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's an option. Yeah. <laughs> How long is the process? Is it instantaneous? Oh no,
1: it's it's like a minute. Like oh, you, you
0: um, I, there's no zero preparation involved.
1: No, you like get an empty plastic bottle, like a two liter bottle, and get a cork, put the bicycle pump, and, and,
0: and then. Uh yeah, no, I hadn't heard about it until yesterday, and yeah. it seemed, um, at first, it seemed really stupid, and kind of. Uh, risky right but i don't think that i really think you would have to inhale a fuck ton like to yeah to really fuck yourself up because part of me thinks of it in the terms of what other like vapor based things i've been stimulated by and like i don't know like i've never i've never smoked crack or anything like that but it's like with weed in several different like ways to smoke it like i've probably had like seven different highs you know because they all give you different kinds of feelings and like part of me is just thinking like alcohol vapors like that has to be better than smoke i don't know man i don't know if not more potent than at least like i don't fucking know you got me like the difference between smoke and vapor
1: i mean like well yeah i mean i i just think it'd be interesting to try I think yeah, no,
0: that's I'm I'm trying to say that, but I'm yeah. also trying to like figure out like really how harmful could it be. Yeah. Anyway, this so- is lots of pasta. Holy <laughs> we, shit. We're talking about trying drugs or doing drugs in we, we haven't in a while um sobriety. I mean I'm saying that while I'm kind of buzzed, because we've been drinking. Um right off the bat, we uh we, I say we I'm just snapping. Okay. I'm not <laughs> interrupting. <laughs> no, 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 no. I thought you would start singing or something. Billy Joe. <laughs> so, I'm here with Django Phillips. Django! And we watched Signs because one of the funny things that I'm sure you've realized, having been brought up in almost every episode with him, is he hasn't seen many movies or many good movies. I mean, I guess you've seen good movies. You, You tend to bring up good movies whenever we talk about movies. Yeah. But I do think your spectrum of movie watching is... Uh, oh, very slim.
1: Yeah, it's a narrow. It's a narrow spectrum. It goes like it goes like this, and then. It is actually it a time
0: management thing? Do you feel like you waste your time when you watch a movie, or is it just like you don't care? No,
1: um, I, it's just not an activity I normally uh, partaken in. in partaken, I, I like you know as a, I don't know as a kid, I played a lot of video games, uh-huh. like as a teenager, I played a lot of video games, and like as an adult, um, you know work and i self-deprecate <laughs> right yeah 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 <laughs> I, I just uh i've been getting more into movies recently and, and especially like my parents and my girlfriend and friends have been like trying to persuade me that like watching movies together is a social activity kind of you know like you can watch a movie and also kind of bond with mm-hmm. people and, and i get that so I'm, I'm trying to fill out be a, a better well-rounded person I'm trying to fill out my uh, movie card
0: well i've I've been grown up on movies I think um my my father he i oh, what's the youngest you could think back to probably around like six or seven around that age even then he was telling me like what was good and what I should watch yeah and mm-hmm. I could remember coming home and watching the same movie like every day because I just was really into movies and you know back then it was like um Mm E.T., Jurassic Park. Um, I even saw, like, Close Encounters of the Third Kind when I was, like, nine. And I even thought that was badass. Like, I imagine most kids probably didn't give a shit about a movie that that logical or scientific. But even I was just like, ooh, aliens. Right. Um, You know, uh, one of my favorite stories about my dad uh, showing me movies was when I turned 10... He was like, "Oh, you like aliens? You like alien movies? Uh, you really like ET? ET's your favorite alien movie? Uh, another alien movie came out that same year, and uh, I think you'd, I think you'd really like it. It's called uh, The Thing by John Carpenter. I was ten, and uh, he made me watch it, and um, I had nightmares for probably three years." Fucking nice. Uh, have you seen The Thing? I've seen parts of it. Yeah. Um. The the. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. I say mm. that now as a 24-year-old. Those effects, practical effects, some of the best I've ever seen in my entire life. Is that the,
1: the movie where the guy's chest opens with teeth and, and then it it just, swallows the guy's just hand? eats the
0: dude's hands. And oh. it, his head detaches from his body and grows spider legs That's and tries, awesome. tries crawling out of the room. All practical effects and, and a little bit of Harryhausen uh, claymation at the end. Uh, really fantastic special effects work in that movie. Yeah, movies. Always been really into them. Uh, we talk about horror movies a lot here. Um, one of my favorite filmmakers and this probably gets me a lot of like...
1: No, I, th- shit, I think you... I think.
0: Yeah, but I mean now. yeah In life. Uh, just because of what he's known for now. Um, M. Night Shyamalan. Probably one of my favorite directors of all time and I say that just because I think Unbreakable Signs, Sixth Sense village and lady in the water and to some degree split despite the like 12 year break between the the, the rest yeah are some of the best thriller slash suspense films i've ever seen and we you know <laughs> you've i think you've mentioned on an earlier episode episode i might have cut it um that the only m night film you had seen that you had enjoyed was the happening. And I'm not gonna give you a shit for it because I remember <laughs> I remember hearing terrible, terrible things about it for for months after it came out and it made me not want to see it. And then maybe a year later maybe a year later I caught it on TV. And it's not something they had to edit much out of. I think a little bit of the violence, but it was heavily implied regardless. Yeah. And um and I didn't hate it. Yeah. Um, I don't understand why it got a lot of hate. I think a lot of the writing is ridiculous, and I think that's when, I think that's when uh, M Knight's writing went downhill because he tends to write everything he directs too. and I think after Lady in the Water, he started getting a lot of weird looks from people when it came to writing because that's also a very awkwardly right. written movie. Right. Very awkwardly, very disjointed narrative. But you like Lady in the Water. I love Lady in the Water for its overarching narrative and and how it develops all of the characters in the movie. And not just, you know, Science, Unbreakable, Sixth Sense, and The Village really only focus on a select few people. Whereas Lady in the Water has one headlining guy, but then a huge ensemble cast full of really good actors... And they all play little pieces very literally. Yeah. Um, like, they are literally played like chess pieces throughout the movie. And um, it keeps you guessing to the very end. And, I, and even then, it kind of convinces you to believe in fantastical things in life. And I, mm. and I like stuff like that. It's a very um, fantastical movie. Um,
1: even even The the Village, which is another one that I've seen of, of Shyamalan. Like, the the twist at the end of The Village like, shocked me. Like, I saw it in the theaters. And Absolutely. I, was, I was speechless. Like, it was Absolutely. very well done.
0: And I'm I'm not the kind of person who, you know, again, sp- I don't spoil many things, but this movie is probably 12 years old. Village. Yeah. Village. Yeah. Um, probably like 12 years old. At least years old. So if you haven't old. seen it, like, get over yourself. The whole, like, they're fake, they're not fake feeling that you get mm-hmm. in the end with Adrian Brody's character, um... That floored me. I loved the whole, like, they're fake, we just made them up notion. Right. And then you kind of see one that doesn't look anything like the rest of them. Yeah. And you're just like, shit. I think that was one of the coolest things that he's ever done. And then, you know, the whole twist after that. I I think that's what kind of waters down that movie as far as my love for Shyamalan. I think The Village is probably the weakest out of the five that I mentioned. Okay. But um, I still don't hate it. I still mm-hmm. consider it one of the better th- original thrillers that ever happened within the like 2000s to th- 2010, that, yeah. that decade. Um, we watched Signs today, and Signs is one of my favorite of his movies. And as we were talking during the movie, um, you don't see an alien invasion movie from this point of view, from this narrative. And... I thought it was really clever and mm-hmm. really well done and really well acted. I think every time I watch it and every time I watch Unbreakable or Sixth Sense, it's like I'm just watching regular people. And and it, yeah. again, we t- we also mentioned that because it's a PA thing, maybe it feels a little bit more at home for me. Maybe I do romanticize his movies more because they're, they're almost all of them are filmed in PA right. around places we've lived around, but like I didn't think of that when I was ten, I didn't think of that when I was twelve. Like I only now, like being like a film buff, do I really think about that when I'm watching the movie, but it doesn't affect the narrative at all. Yeah. Um but I still think it's one of the most solid, like, alien movies I've ever seen.
1: No, and I thought I thought it was great. And I thought one of the things you said when we were watching it which i think is kind of like a hallmark for me of shyamalan's style and i agree with this is like he has he he gives his characters time to develop and whereas other horror directors will kind of make characters and then assign them to a particular archetype he lets the actors and the characters kind of work through and and um, change their characters in a meaningful way throughout the film mm-hmm. and like that you know that one scene where where they're sitting in the basement and like the kids having an asthma attack like there's no you know, I can't think of any other horror film in recent memory that would have that. Have, mm-hmm. like, a you know actual father-son interaction for, like, three minutes of screen time with, like, dramatic music and, and whatever. I don't know that anyone else would choose to pause on that.
0: Absolutely. And I, yeah. and, and I think that's why I mentioned that, like, I think what I like so much about early Shyamalan is that it's almost Stephen King-esque. And, mm-hmm. like, really the only... The only connection I can make when you said that was, like, maybe The Shining uh, in the book about getting out of the hotel. Yeah. Um, that kind of puts a halt on all of the action and all the horror that's been talk- uh, amounting in the movie. And then you go and you watch the Kubrick film and all that shit happens. So it's like, you could, I, I doubt you've watched the, uh, the re-adaptation, the three-part series, the three-hour no. movie. It does do that and it's very it's very well done and, and I think the readaptation does a lot of different shit that the movie didn't do, including like the garden of uh the animals. The hedge Yeah, the animals. hedge animals yeah. and the hedge maze and stuff. Um Regardless I think what made early Shyamalan his writing is a little preachy. All of them are. Mm-hmm. It's something you got to get over. A lot of people are able to suspend their dis- uh, disbelief when they're watching uh, movies, but for some reason, with Shyamalan's like, very realistic approaches, a lot of people think the writing in all of his movies are pretty shitty. Right. And I don't think that's fair. You don't fair. agree. Yeah. I don't think that's fair. But um, anyway, you, you enjoyed yourself. You enjoyed- yeah. No, it was a good
1: science. movie. It was good. <sighs> I want to see Unbreakable.
0: Unbreakable's really good. Mm-hmm. I think Unbreakable's my favorite M. Night movie. And I remember I saw him at Comic-Con two years ago when he was unveiling Wayward Pines. He did the fir- He showed the first two episodes like a week or two before yeah. Wayward Pines came out. Also not a great show, but he, no. he directed the first two episodes, which were the two best episodes in the series. I just remember... Uh, Someone walked up and asked him, like, you ever going to fucking write a sequel to Unbreakable? Like the, ending, <laughs> like the ending implies you're going to? And he was just like, nah, man, ship sailed. Two years later, Split comes out and everyone's just like, shit! <laughs> what, is that like a sequel to Unbreakable? Oh! Fucking, well, alright, fine. God damn it. How do you I've been telling you so for f- fucking I've been telling you for months cool not ass to watch club Split and I'm not invited you it's cool. It's see fine. unbreakable. It's fine.
1: Well then I'm not going to. I'll take your advice. I won't do it. Absolutely. Shit. Maybe it was that guy. Maybe he owes royalties to that guy at Comic-Con.
0: Maybe he met up with that guy afterwards and was just like No,
1: he didn't even do that. He doesn't he wasn't nice enough to do that. I he thought does, he was just be like fucking idiot. No, he <laughs> went he went into the hotel room that night
0: and he was like <gasps> holy shit. <laughs> what the fuck am I doing? People really liked Unbreakable. Unbreakable was like my best thing. He has like a mirror moment. He like looks in the mirror and he's like <laughs> he's like After Earth Will Smith what am I doing? Because we know he already had that moment with He puts Avatar. on lipstick <laughs> and he just looks <laughs>
1: at himself in the mirror.
0: Who am I? He breaks the mirror and he's like split! <laughs> <laughs> So that's that's how he did that. That's where he came up with
1: that poster. Held himself off a hotel dock, me. He broke every bone in his body.
0: <laughs> that's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> they called me Mister Shamu. No, no,
1: Sarah, you're bleeding
0: very bad. <laughs> I've lost a lot of blood. Okay, so we're gonna jump into the stories now. Um, fun fun fact. We uh, I made a bit of a Oopsie. In episode 31, I believe, with Django Phillips, uh, we read stories called Confessions of a Deep-Sea Diver, and it wasn't until I was done editing it that I realized there was a part three, and I fucked up. Oh. This is is an informal apology to listeners, but also fuck you. I, I... Re- we are offering a refund though. Am I re- <laughs> yeah, here's <laughs> no- yeah, here's nothing. WWW here's nothing. Suck a ball. <laughs> we Man. um we read series on your episodes, but this was like a part three of a series that had ended a couple years ago. So I Yeah. I, we talked about it in the episode. We were like, there is a part three, and then we started reading it and I had to cut it out, but I, it was like, oh shit, this is just the first part again. Uh, right, maybe right, maybe yes. I downloaded this wrong. Yes, I remember that. And at the point of recording, we didn't go and look. I literally just said, I'm going to cut this. Right. But when I was editing it, I went back and looked, and I realized there was a reason I put a part 3. It's because there is one.
1: Okay, so just to refresh my memory and the listeners.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, just recap. Yeah. Go back and watch 31. I hope you've watched 31. It's
1: like the the one where there there's cars,
0: right? So, in, yeah. In, in part... So, in part one, it's just, it was like search and rescue stories yeah. where he was like, I work on a boat, I work on an oil rig out in the ocean, here's the weird shit that's happened to me out in the ocean. Um, because they're kind of like contractors, they take any job they, they can when it comes to diving. Right. So, one of them deals with the shark, one of them deals with shadows in the, of the deep, one of them deals with, like, weird signs, you know, inscribed on the side of the rig. Right. One of them was, like, a weird person they found in the ocean, um... The second one was about them doing the bridge work after a huge accident, and there were cars and and weird things going on. It's basically search and rescue stories with a diver. Okay. So I'm going to let you take this one to start, just because you were supposed to read a part three in that episode, and we never did. Okay. So again, Confessions of a Deep Sea Diver, part three, finally coming at you after... 13 episodes. Sorry, not sorry.
1: shit bam I apologize that it's taken this so long for me to update you all. No, we don't. No? Absolutely not. <laughs> I've been resting on this story for the past week, scared to share it. I believe this will be my final update today. After my last post, I was contacted by my former Diving Supervisor. He told me the danger of sharing these stories, and then his tone changed. Things are getting worse down there. He had never spoken freely about it with me. But he continued, We had an incident this week, and we lost men. I was shocked. We all know the dangers. We've all seen the keepers of the deep. But nobody actually expects to die. After a close call or two, you just expect to keep having close calls. He continued, Out of respect for our fallen, you need to use your best judgment before sharing this, and realize it isn't safe to share the story. He then continued.
0: And this is when I decided I was going to share a transcript of the literal phone conversation we had. This is so when I started you. recording. Fuck you, Jerry. Fuck I'm gonna you, tell Jake. You, I'm going to tell whatever fucking story I want.
1: You never paid me for those last two weeks. <laughs> the team was contacted to perform a standard salvage job for the military. They had been incredibly vague about the work, but indicated that a vessel had gone down. The dive team and their gear were loaded aboard a U.S. Navy ship, to be escorted to the project. This is abnormal, but not unheard of. But things become more and more strange as they traveled to the project. First, they were briefed with the commanding officer. He reviewed the confidentiality agreement regarding our work, and then the brief was turned over to a man who did not introduce himself. He explained that the Navy has been working on a prototype submarine. Its capabilities and new technologies would not be relevant to us. All we needed to know was that it was tremendous. The size would dwarf any subs we'd ever witnessed. He then admitted the navy did not need routine salvage work, but assistance recovering their prototype. He briefed the team that four days prior they had lost contact with the crew. Sonar images show the submarine resting on bottom, apparently intact, but nobody was responding to communications attempts. As the ship arrived on scene, they found that they were not alone. Nearly a dozen navy ships were already awaiting their arrival. Divers were given the go-ahead to get in the water and begin work. Their first task was to inspect the submarine for damage and hazards. They needed to provide a bottom report for the engineers to develop a plan for raising it. They didn't want us rigging it up, however seemed fit to us. They needed the prototype in as good of a condition as possible. The divers entered the water and were soon in awe of the creation. It was like nothing they had ever seen. It was tremendous. From where they descended, they could not see the forward or aft ends of the submarine, and the water was abnormally clear. In addition, the sub was created out of what appeared to be a reflective metal woven into scales. They began inspecting the sub for damage. After they had reached the maximum allowable bottom time, they were brought back to the surface to swap out without a vent. They reported the next set of divers that they had explored from midship to the aft end and had found no apparent damage. The sub appeared to have gently set down in the sand.
0: The only thing I was going to say was I allow a lot of maximum bottom time.
1: Hey. <laughs> I hate you. fucking hate you, you so much.
0: You wanna switch off? Yeah. good. Okay. The next set of divers entered to inspect from midship to the forward end. They began advancing while inspecting for damage. About ten minutes into the dive, one diver began tapping on the hull. Immediately, both divers reported that they could hear people inside the submarine banging against the hull and shouting out. They couldn't understand what they were screaming, but the message was clear. They were terrified. The supervisor reported that they found evidence that the crew was still alive. The divers continued advancing. It was about five more minutes before their next report. There were carvings across the submarine's metallic-scale surface. Hieroglyphics had been carved into the submarine and appeared to stretch from the very front of the submarine toward the midship. Still, there were no signs of structural damage that would have caused the submarine to cease functioning. The divers returned to the surface, and the commanding officer was given a full report on the day's findings. The team was assured that the submarine was capable of sustaining the crew. They were eager to retrieve it, but the crew was believed to be in relatively little danger. As day two begun, divers descended with instructions to locate four specified locations. Engineers needed to verify that they were still structurally sound for attaching a rigging. Immediately, the divers reported that they could still hear the banging coming from within. They began locating the rigging points quickly and easily. As they approached the forward end of the ship just within the region which was covered in carvings, they noticed a figure moving about. They both saw it, there was no denying it, but it soon disappeared from sight. The divers were unable to figure out where it had gone. They agreed to quickly find the remaining two points. It was quick work. The two remaining points were located. All four were intact and readily available for use. As they readied to return to the surface, they were informed that there were two more locations they were being asked to inspect. There were supposedly two hatches, port and starboard, that the engineers had insisted needed to be checked supervisors were wary. The engineers up here got uneasy when they heard your reports of something moving around the ship. They stepped inside, and when they returned, insisted that you find the two hatches. I'm not sure what's going on. They're being very ambiguous, so please be cautious. The divers returned to the area in question and began closely re-examining the area. As they worked, they soon saw a figure emerging from the submarine. It was dragging a body out of the hatch. They froze and watched it as it pushed the hatch close and began dragging it into the distance. They then approached the spot and realized the hatch was almost indistinguishable between the scales and carvings on the submarine but it was there. As they were reporting this the hatch began to open again. Topside lost communications with the two divers. It was sheer panic on Topside. The tenders were reporting strain on the divers umbilicals. standby diver donned his helmet and prepared to get in the water. The umbilicals began violently shaking and pulling. The standby diver was clearly terrified, but nonetheless approached the side of the ship prepared to enter the water. The strain on the umbilicals released and suddenly the lines went limp in the water. A few moments later, air bubbles were erupting to the surface. The supervisor grabbed the standby diver and told him, get the divers and get the fuck out of there. He entered the water and began tracing out their umbilicals. His goal was to follow the umbilicals to the divers in distress. As he followed the umbilicals, he saw the air violently erupting from below and continued deeper. He reached the source. The umbilicals had been cut free of the divers and were pumping air into the water. Knowing the divers had no air supply, he urgently searched the area for the two divers, and after five minutes, he had found no sign and was ordered to inspect the hatch. He frantically made his way to the hatch, hoping beyond hope to find the divers alive. Don't fucking do that. I've never said umbilical so many times. Umbilical. You know, umbilical. As the umbilical.
1: The doctor used the umbilical to try and locate the baby.
0: <sighs> found it. <laughs> it's really easy. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's right, there. Vagina right there. <laughs> it's right there. Ma'am, can you stop screaming? Baby, right I here. found you. I found your baby. I slipped him. Sorry. It's, he's
1: fine. He's, he's literally attached d- to you. He's fine. Do you understand how babies work? You don't
0: want me to cut it? <laughs> Fucking fine.
1: As he approached, he found the hatch open and saw the two bodies laying on the floor. He entered the space to retrieve them. As he did, he noticed several figures in the darkness of the room. He grabbed the nearest body and began pulling it as the figures rushed toward him. They were instantly upon him, tearing at him in his gear. In fear, he released the body and attempted to flee to space. In the struggle, he freed himself and rocketed to the surface. He was pulled up and over the side of the ship unconscious his bloodied body lay on the deck, likely suffering from an arterial gas embolism from his rapid ascent. Team rushed him into the hyperbaric chamber to treat him.
0: I, I was gonna say that a rapid ascent, like, um, emergency uh, will fuck you up. There was one thing I was absolutely told. Because I, I had a bit of a scare with an air tank when I was in training. Mm-hmm. At some point mid-dive, I was choking. I was I was breathing in on my tank and my meter had gone from half to zero in two seconds and i was literally breathing in like hiccup sips of air yeah and i immediately i was probably 40 feet down i immediately went over to my dive instructor grabbed his spare rebreather and took his unit and he just stared at me like what the fuck is going on and i showed him my my gauge and i was just like I'm fucking empty. You guys gave me a shit tank, bro. Like it read, um, you're supposed to do the readings before you dive. Okay. It read full, and it wasn't. And then it went down, and and then it went. It went. Down. And I know I didn't. I don't eat oxygen when I'm down. Right. That it had to have been my f- fifth or sixth dive out of like thirteen to sixteen I've done, mm-hmm. and so my first instinct was to get the fuck out of there. And then I remembered like rapid ascent from thirty feet or or lower yeah. will give you long standing like nerve damage. Right. So makes sense. Well shit,
1: man. The supervisor informed the commanding officer that all diving was being terminated. He had lost two men and one was in critical condition. There were inexplicable things happening on the submarine and he would not sacrifice more men. The treatment continued through the night, and the diver regained consciousness. He told the supervisor he was done he would not re-enter the water again, ever. He was assured nobody would be returning, and that as soon as his treatment was complete, the entire team was returning to land. The next morning, the team was summoned for what was believed to be a debrief. He entered the room to speak with the commanding officer and his team of engineers. The CO asked them to take a seat. He then informed them that they would not move forward with the salvage of the prototype. However, what was down there couldn't remain. Whatever was inside of the submarine had to be positively destroyed. The team was to re-enter the water and plan charges in locations specified by the engineering team. The supervisor was furious. He demanded that the team be taken back to the mainland and released from the ship. Armed sentries entered the room and restrained him. The CO again repeated his orders and clarified that the team would not be allowed to leave until the job was complete. Diveside was reassembled under the watch of several armed sailors. The supervisor continued to protest the job. After over an hour of conflict, two divers agreed, under duress, to get in the water to plant the charges. The two divers entered the water. Fearfully, they moved to the specified locations and began placing the charges. They began hearing the banging and shouting coming from within the sub. The divers, understanding these men would be killed, began sobbing. The CO came out of the comms and again explained they would not be allowed to leave until the job was complete. After regaining their composure, the two regretfully continued two completed their task and returned to the surface. In their shame, they refused to speak to anyone and left Diveside. The ships began departing from the location and the team was again summoned. The commanding officer thanked them for their service to the great nation and informed them they would be handsomely rewarded for the regrettable tragedy they had encountered. He then went over the confidentiality of the job and everything that they had witnessed. His final words to them were, Previous events have been leaked to the public. Please realize there will be real consequences for any leaked information about what happened here today. My supervisor ended the conversation stating that the entire team had agreed they were going to leave the diving company. Their fear of the deep sea and remorse for the job were too great. He told me there are some places man simply isn't meant to
0: explore. I like exploring it.
1: I like exploring dark, damp places.
0: Name one
1: but I've had, I've had sex, I've had so much sex. <laughs> so
0: that's what you were talking I've about. I've had, I've had all the sex. You're funny. All the kinds of sex, I've You're had it. You're a funny guy. I know what sex
1: is. Shut up. <laughs> Damp? Dipped. Well, yeah, well, Damp. Well. Okay. Moist. That, that's the word I was looking for. I'm moist. <laughs> I want to read something that gets my jimmies
0: excited. I do think this one is good. I think this one's a, an award winner from Reddit. No sleep. Okay. For like best best of the month or something. It's supposed to be love, love the title though. It's supposed to be spoopy. Uh, like immediately. I fucking love the title. Have you seen this painting of a hallway? Great. Yeah, you know, with no sleep, it's like they're trying to get people to click it, and uh, when I did, there is no actual picture. They go straight into the story. Yeah, uh, I didn't read all of this. I read a little bit, and I was hooked. So, I do hope you enjoy this. Sweet,
1: fucking sweet.
0: Have you seen this painting of a hallway from Red and No Sleep? I got this package in the mail from my dad. Brown paper wrapping, large put flat, with the word fragile written on it in black ink. When I unwrapped it, it was this big acrylic painting framed in some sort of bronze gilded plaster. The painting itself was of this long hallway full of doors kind of like you'd see in a fancy hotel. The walls had edging about halfway up, the upper part was painted sort of an off-white, while the lower half was a crimson red that blended into the carpeting. Between each door was an upturned light, as well as on the far wall at each end, where the corridor seemed to connect to another hallway running perpendicular to it, disappearing around a corner. It was really amazing detail, though I wouldn't call it lifelike by any means. Just the sheer amount of intricate pieces to each aspect of the scene showed that the artist really paid attention to every little thing, like somewhere in the world was this hallway and you could just stand there in it and hold the painting up in front of you, and if it weren't for the border and the clearly stylized art, you wouldn't be able to tell where the canvas ended and the real world began. I called him up and thanked him immediately. But where'd you find this? I got it at an auction. I kind of figured as much, so I hung up the painting in my office and just behind my desk, which I realized later wasn't the best place for it because in order to actually look at it, I had to swivel completely around. But there wasn't any anywhere better, really, and once I had gotten it hung up, I felt less willing to take it back down, so I just left it there. It kinda of hung out over my shoulder and watched me work, and every now and then I'd turn around and stare at it and get entranced by it, feeling like I could get up and put my hands in the frame and climb into the painting as if the frame were a window. Of course, I wouldn't be writing this if something weird didn't happen as a result of the painting. We had a couple friends over, Mark and Sabina, and Mark and I went into my office when the women folks started talking about knitting, which has become my wife's new favorite hobby. I went and sat down at my laptop to find a video I had been telling Mark about and Mark wandered over and started admiring the painting. Where'd you get that? My dad bought it at an art auction and gave it to me. It's creepy. It's not that creepy, it's kinda, I don't know. Like hypnotic? Yeah. I turned around to look at it with him while the video loaded. He got up close and was running his finger over the canvas, feeling the raised acrylic and I just let my gaze wander over all the details again. I... (laughs) I didn't notice that before. What? At the end of the hall, there's some sort of light coming from around the corner and it's casting a shadow on the floor. I got up and looked closer because I really hadn't spent a lot of time studying the far end of the hallway. There was definitely some yellow and some darker colors, making what looked like the shadow of a person coming from around the corner. I even reached out and touched it to make sure it wasn't just some trick of the light in the study making it look like there was a shadow in the painting. But I felt the paint, and sure enough, it was actually there in the painting. See what I mean? Mark said. Creepy. I genuinely fear... I genuinely fear... <laughs> I genuinely felt weirded out by it. It was one of those moments where you start thinking... Why didn't I notice this earlier? Was it there to notice? A couple days later, I was working on a project in my study and it was like 9.30 at night and I just couldn't focus. So I spun around in my chair to look at the painting and I felt this very sudden vertigo effect like the ground wasn't there and I had to grab my chair to keep from tumbling into emptiness. You wouldn't have noticed it if you had looked at the painting a 100 times like I had. The hallway was long, with exactly six doors. I remember because I counted them the first day, three on the left, three on the right, each with a little shiny metal doorknob. Only now there were seven doors, three on the left, four on the right. It didn't make any sense. Everything looked proportionally exactly the same, and the far end of the corridor was just as far away, and yet there was a fourth door in the right side of the hallway with its little metal doorknob. I don't even know which door was the fourth door, that's how well it blended in. I just know that there was a fourth door, where once there was three. What the hell is going on? I turned away in my chair and back to check several times and make sure my eyes weren't playing tricks on me, but the number of doors remained constant. I called my dad again and I asked him, is this a trick painting that you sent me? What do you mean? I mean it keeps changing. I can see it changing.
1: Not as far as I know. It was just one in a bunch I picked up at the same auction.
0: After I got off the phone, I took the painting down and checked the back for some sort of mechanical or digital hocus-pocus. Well, it was all soft canvas, so I left it on the floor behind my office chair with the painting facing the wall because the thought of it was freaking me out. The next day, I pulled my wife into my office and held the painting up so she could see it because she hadn't had a chance to before. How many doors are there, I asked. She looked it over for a moment. Seven. Seven. When I got this, there were six. She just looked at me like I was being a goofball. Okay, so which one wasn't there before? I have no idea. You don't know which door
1: magically appeared?
0: And she laughed and gave me a kiss and went back into the other room. It gets worse. The next time I chatted with Mark, I told him about the extra door in the painting.
1: Are you sure there weren't seven doors to begin with?
0: Well, I would swear I counted six.
1: Well, if if another one shows up, at least Melissa counted seven and you can confirm it then. You know what you should do? You should take a photo of the painting now so you can prove it if anything else changes.
0: What a great idea. So I got my phone and took a photo of the painting. Two days went by, nothing. On the third day, I walked into my office and there was a man staring at me. Well, I mean, it wasn't. I can't say that it was a man or a woman. Hell, I can't say that it was human. There was a shape at the end of the hallway in my painting. It was oddly lacking in the detail that the rest of the painting had, like someone had hurriedly painted it on. I even ran my hand over it to make sure it wasn't fresh, that someone had actually come in and painted over my painting, like to drive me crazy. It was really there. And the look of it scared me more than anything else, changing painting included. I wish I could do it justice with words, but the best I can describe it is That it was human-ish, with legs and arms, but it seemed squat or hunched and lopsided, like someone had slapped a blurry Quasimodo onto the otherwise beautiful painting. You couldn't see the details of its face, but you could see shading on it defining really warped features. I was almost glad that there wasn't more detail to it, except that it just left enough to the imagination to give one nightmares.
1: But I had proof. Here was proof that the painting was changing, so I brought the file on my laptop to show my wife for comparison, only when I did, the figure was in the photo I took, too. At no point did I start questioning my sanity about all this. Something unnatural or terrifying was going on, so I, I took the painting out of the house and I set it on the curb where we put our trash for pickup. I was so done with that painting, or so I thought. The next evening, when I got home from work, it was gone from the curb. I figured someone else had seen it and taken it home, so I waved my hands and I said, good, now it's someone else's problem. I went in I played with my daughter, I had dinner, put them in bed, and after watching a show with my wife, I went into my office to check my email. No the painting wasn't back on the wall, I made sure of that the moment I walked in the door. But I got a message from Mark, asking if the painting had changed anymore, and I told him about the creepy new addition, and also how I had gotten rid of the painting.
0: Man. That sounds cool. I wish I'd gotten a chance to see it.
1: Uh, well, I can send you the photo I took of it. Cool. So I opened the image file. The thing in the painting had raised its arms. Before you could only barely make out the arms hanging on its sides, but now both arms were raised up over its head and its fingers were spread apart like it was waving hello at me. I think it was waving hello at me. I zoomed in as best as I could without pixeling the image and the shaded contours of the face seemed stretched into a grin. Jesus Mary, and Joseph. I sent Mark the file, but the connection kept fucking up, so I put it in a folder on my Dropbox account and gave him access to it. The file's corrupted, he texted me. I tried to open it as well, but he was right. Every time I copied the image file, somehow it got corrupted. It must be the spooky magic, Mark joked. This is no joke, I'm freaking out here. Delete the file if it's scaring you so bad. So I deleted the file. But it nodded me, you know? The painting was still changing, in horrible, terrifying ways, seemingly acknowledging my observation of it, and now it was gone. But if it was gone, why should it matter? If something unholy happens, it's the problem of whoever has the painting now, right? And they'll say you're changing too, won't they? Ah, shit. It was two days later, and I was organizing a folder of documents, and I accidentally deleted a couple I hadn't meant to. I went into the Windows recycling bin, and you guessed it, there was the image file, along with the documents. I had to look. I was trembling with dread at the thought of it, but when something so surreal happens to you, you have to witness it and see it through to the end. I recovered the file and opened it. The walls of the hallway seemed to be melting. The partition separating the red from the off-white was lower than it had been before, and it drooped in places. The ridge on the lights looked like they were peeling off. The carpet seemed less crimson and more reddish-brown. And the figure had taken several steps down the corridor towards the viewer's perspective, More details had become defined, hair hanging off its head, long and black like it had been painted with a fine-tipped brush. The eyes were little more than dull black points under the shading of the brow. A grin came with teeth, uneven and fat, like those of a child more than an adult. Its arms were extended out on either side of it, touching both walls. One foot was ahead of the other, as if I had caught it mid-step in a game of red-light-green light. I realized I was panting and shaking as I looked at it. It was really hard to breathe. An anxiety attack. The, the painting was going to make me pass out just from looking at a digital photo of it. Quickly I closed the image to calm myself down, but that suddenly brought forth the thought, what if it progresses every time I look away? The only way to stop it is to keep looking, and I open the file again. No change. Oh. No, wait, that wasn't a new change. I had noticed it before, but it hadn't dawned on me. One of the doors was open. There was a dim blue light coming from the room inside. Moonlight, I thought. And just outside the threshold of the door, there was an object lying on the floor. I zoomed in for better detail. It was a little yellow stuffed lion with a scraggly orange mane. A child's toy. Of all the details, the the melting hallway, the grinning fiend with arms wide open, the blue light from the open doorway, it was the innocent nature of that little toy lion that filled me with the most dread. My wife came into the office.
0: Come kiss Gabby goodnight.
1: I went into her darkened room, where she was wrapped up in blankets in her bed, hugging a half dozen stuffed animals and looking cute as could be. My little darling. I love her so much. I kissed my daughter goodnight. She kissed me back and hugged her little pillow pet with a built-in nightlight. It glowed through a variety of colors. I love you, baby, I told her.
0: Can you get my Simba?
1: I looked around. Where'd you leave it? Over there. She pointed to the closet. The door was open and her toy lay on the floor just inside. Simba, her little yellow stuffed lion with a scraggly, orange mane. Seeing it lying there just past the threshold of the closet door, with the dim glow of my daughter's nightlight faded from red to purple to blue, I felt my heart rise up in my chest. The closet was just a closet. I could see it was just a closet. There were clothes on hangers and bags of toys and blocks in them. They were right there. And yet, as I looked at the stuffed lion lying on the floor, waiting for me, I felt as though I could see carpeting on the floor inside the closet, even though there was none. Carpeting, not in my vision, but in my imagination. And maybe if I went in and shut the door, I'd find that the walls behind those clothes had a wooden partition, red below, off-white above. And maybe there was something hunched and terrible shambling its way towards us, even as I stood there staring at that toy. I walked briskly, trying not to look half-frightened as I was snatched up Simba and shut the closet door. My breathing was heavy, like i just run a mile, and I struggled to avoid gasping for breath as I tried to calm myself down. Hey, did that poster fall down? I asked nobody in particular, then pretended I was trying to adjust a cat poster that had been on the floor by her re- dresser for months, and shoved the heavy dresser over so that it partially blocked the closet door. Here's Simba, sweetie. I handed the lion to Gabby, gave her a quick hug and a kiss, and I wished her good night before rushing back to my office. The painting had changed, as I knew it would. The open door was closed, the toy gone from the floor, the hallway was dimly lit with yellow light from the melting lights again. But the thing, that not-quite-human fiend, was standing right outside the now-shut door. Its body turned to face it with both hands pressed up against the door itself, like it was running its hands down it, caressing it, and its head turned towards me, still grinning that awful, frightening grin full of gnashed, crooked teeth. Oh god, how close had it been? No, it's just a closet. The hallway is not there. It's not real. None of this is real.
0: I've put up signs around the neighborhood, knocked on doors, asked everyone I know and many I don't know if they know who took the painting. I need to find it and get it back. I want to tear it, shred it in my hands, throw it in a fire and watch it burn to ashes. Jesus, God in heaven, I hope it didn't end up in some landfill. I've learned the awful truth. All doors lead to the hallway. I don't know the rules. There don't seem to be any. I thought, okay, this thing is bound to a painting, but then the digital photo I took of the painting began to change too. Then my daughter's toy appeared in the image, and in a panic, I barricaded her closet. I wish I could tell you how it works. All I can tell you is that if you were the one who ends up with it, it's too late, and I'm sorry. For over a week, I hunted for that painting, I had put it in the side of the road to be carved off on garbage day, but someone saw it and picked it up took it home with them. Who? I don't know. Do they see it changing? Is it terrorizing them now? What do I do? It eats at you, not knowing. I refused to open the image file, afraid to see what it showed, certain that the hideously deformed creature would be twisting the knob on the door that presumably leads to my daughter's bedroom. I lay awake, listening for the distinct sound of the hinges that that door makes, my heart racing like a track runner's. Sometimes I would imagine I heard it and bolted into her bedroom only to find it dark and empty, only the soft sound of her sleeping, plus a door still shut and blocked behind a wall of boxes. In desperation for my own sanity, I removed the doorknob, and then I sat there at my desk studying the knob, wondering if that had made a change in the image was the doorknob gone in the painting god it was killing me to know to see whether i was safe or not so i opened the file jesus mary and joseph i opened the image biting my knuckle in tension and when i saw it my jaw clenched up so tight i tasted my own blood and nearly broke my finger it was there i mean it was right there The monster, the freak, the thing that lived inside the fucked up painting was staring right at me, filling the screen. Details so vivid, it didn't look like a painting at all. It looked like I'd taken a photo of a disfigured man standing in front of a canvas. You want a description to go with your nightmares? Its skin was like wax. Pale, greasy wax. The flesh lumped up in places sloughed and often others. It was as if someone had tried to build a human head out of modeling clay and then just left it out in the rain. There was hair, black and brown and white, streaked hair that hung like seaweed off the top of its head, running down over its face, covering its ears. If you asked me to sum up this thing in one sentence, I would say it looked like a desiccated corpse that got dredged up out of the East River after a week in a hot July. But the eyes... Oh, merciful fucking heaven, the eyes were the worst part there was a clearness to them a sinister intelligence that stared back at me as i tore into the flesh of my hands with my teeth no dullness or milky coloration just piercing brown eyes looking dead at me and a mouthful of teeth curved into a mischievous smile and i mean full of teeth it was like i was looking into a shark's maw behind the first row was clearly another row of the same crooked yellow teeth two rows exposed by its excited grin That's what it was, not mischievous at all, but excited. It was happy to see me. It was happy to see me. And as I had that thought staring in escalating horror at my computer screen, this inhuman nightmare staring back at me, I knew it was true. It could see me. It wasn't just a painting that looked like a freak of nature was staring out of the canvas. It was actually looking at me, out my screen, and just as I was looking at it, FUCK YOU! FUCK YOU! I shouted and closed the image. Then I deleted it. Then I emptied the recycling bin just for safe measure. Then I got up and ran away from the computer and spent the rest of the day pacing and feeling irritable and snapping at every question my wife or daughter asked until finally they just stopped asking me anything at all. When I close my eyes, I see it it's there behind my eyelids now smiling at me its head cocked over so slightly like a curious dog it can't speak to me but i feel like i know what it was thinking it was thinking do you really think you could stop me no i don't think i can my wife came into my office that evening she stood there frowning heavily and seemingly waiting for me to say something but i was too distracted to speak up finally she broke the silence you've got to stop stop
1: what stop taking out things on me and Gabby." Stop the story about a painting with a monster in it.
0: Stop acting like you're crazy. The painting is real. You saw it. I've got the image on my computer to prove it. It's still changing. Let's see it. Fine. Wait. I just deleted it.
1: You're giving Gabby nightmares. I didn't change her sheets today because she was afraid to get out of the bed to go to the bathroom. This has to stop. I'm trying to protect her. I'm trying to protect us. Monsters don't come out of paintings. She
0: threw her hands up in frustration. You're a grown man! Stop acting like a child! Stop scaring your child! It's real, goddammit! She stormed out of the room, slamming the door behind her. I just sat there, holding my head in my hands and tearing at my hair. It felt like my stomach was eating itself from the inside. It groaned and tugged at my guts. We'd fought before, but never like this. I should apologize, I thought. She was in the bedroom, packing a suitcase. Where are you going? I asked. I'm taking Gabby to my parents. In Indiana? For how long? She threw a bunch of clothes in a pile. I don't know. That depends on you. Don't go, please. Look. She said.
1: You could use some time to relax. I think you're too stressed lately, and I haven't seen my family in months.
0: I can go with you. She looked at me. Could you? I couldn't. I had taken too much time off already from dealing with Gabby being sick over the winter I pulled at my hair. No, probably not. She went into Gabby's room and came back with a pile of her clothes to go in a suitcase. It's a two-day drive, I reminded her. We'll stop in a hotel, like we always do. Gabby likes the one with the big pool. I covered my face. I didn't want her to see that my eyes were brimming with tears please. I could feel her eyes on me. Call me when you get there. I sat at my desk in an empty house, just me and the television to keep me distracted, to keep me from thinking too much. Shut the brain off, don't let the mind wander, you know? I wasn't actually watching it, just listening. If you asked, I wouldn't even be able to tell you what channel it was on. The clock on the wall said it was just after 11 p.m. My wife and daughter had left hours ago and most likely be stopping at the hotel she'd made reservations at soon. That was when I got an instant message from Mark. I hadn't talked to him in a couple of weeks since the whole nightmare had begun. When the painting had started to change, I'd taken the photo of it and tried to send it to him, but for some reason the file got corrupted every time I sent it. It felt good to get a little outside contact.
1: I want you to see something,"
0: his message read. What is it? I wrote back. Ding! He sent a file. I double-clicked it and opened it. It was the photo of the painting. The hallway was back to normal, though, and no freakish, shambling horror was staring at me or anywhere to be seen. The walls weren't melting, the lights were normal, it was just like it looked when I first received it from my father. Except there were eight doors in the hallway. And like before, it fit so perfectly that I couldn't tell you which door was the new door. I closed the picture and wrote Mark back. I thought the file was corrupted. He didn't respond. I sat there waiting. It looks just like it did to begin with. Did you do something to it? I wrote. Look again. Something was off saw there are eight doors now. Look. Again. Double clicked the file, and the bottom dropped out of my stomach. There was the painting. There was the hallway. There were the lights. There was the red carpeting. There were the eight doors.
1: And there was my wife and daughter walking into the eighth door. And in the background, there was the shadow of the shambler coming around the corner. Jesus. I scrambled to write a message to Mark. What's going on? See you, he wrote back. Or did he? Sue. Mark, I typed. No response. I wrote his name again. Fuck this, I thought. I need to call Melissa. I ran into the other room and grabbed my phone. Running back in the office, I I kept trying to get Mark to respond while dialing her cell number. When she answered, I nearly screamed in relief. What's up? She sounded tired. I just wanted to make sure you are okay, I said, trying not to sound as panicked as I was.
0: Yeah, we just got into the hotel room, good timing. What does it look like?
1: There was a long pause. I could hear Gabby asking questions about the TV in the background.
0: What does the room look like?
1: Well, actually, what does the hall look like?
0: Uh...
1: I stopped typing Mark's name in the messenger box and double clicked the image file. The melting man was there. He wasn't as detailed again. Mostly a jumbled smudge of paints, but he was clearly halfway down the hall and looking not at the doors of the hallway, but at me again. I could see stipples of white showing the teeth in his grin. Oh shit, he's right there. Uh, on the other end of the phone, I heard my wife.
0: I didn't really look. Hang on.
1: I could hear the latch in the hotel door turning. No! Squeeze squeezed the phone in my hand like I was holding her hand and pulling her away from whatever was on the other side of a hotel door. What? No, don't, don't <laughs> worry about it. Tell me tomorrow. I sat there and stared at the image on my screen. Maybe if I left it up, the thing wouldn't be able to move. Why the fuck haven't I thought of that before? Leave the image up and it can't possibly change, right? Well, what the fuck was up with Mark? Why'd he send me the photo? Did he? He still wasn't responding to my messages anymore. You're not Mark, are you? Had I infected Mark's computer by sending the file to him? What was that, honey? Ah, damn, I was still on the phone with my wife. (laughs) Just talking to myself. I heard Gabby get in the background.
0: Can we play in the pool? Look, I gotta go. The pool's only open for another half hour, and I promised Gabby she would play in it. And she's all wound up from being in the car. To our daughter in the background. Do you want to say goodnight to Daddy? Wait.
1: She wasn't listening to me. Gabby got on the phone.
0: Goodnight, Daddy.
1: <laughs> I love you, Gabby. I told her, can you put... My wife is back in the line. We love you, honey. I... She hung up. I sat there in the dark of my office, the quiet of my house. Even the television seemed to have gone quiet. I sat there and stared at the image on my computer screen and prayed, Please, God, protect them. He didn't hear me. I should have been with them. I failed to protect them. Instead I sat there at my desk all night and stared at the picture of the grinning beast as it lurked in its seemingly frozen state outside the door to my wife's hotel room. Phone ringing in the other room snapped me awake. I wasn't really asleep, mind you, just sitting there in a trance, like a zombie, staring at the computer screen. My brain was in a fog. I shambled in the other room and picked up. It was a police officer from Pennsylvania, calling to give me the bad news. Fuck PA. <laughs> They've <been laughs> the f- bad news.
0: <laughs> so, I'm sorry sir, but Pennsylvania uh, fucking We
1: found your wife and daughter. They're in Pennsylvania. <laughs> I'm, sorry. I'm, I'm so so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. They've been found in the hotel pool the following morning. They suspected that my wife had slipped, hit her head on the tiles, and fallen into the pool, holding my daughter's hand and taking her in with her. The injury apparently caused my wife to seize. Gabby had bruises on her arms. I knew what really happened. They'd wandered into its realm, the thing in the painting, and it had finally gotten what it wanted. I dropped the phone and walked in trance back into my study. My stomach was fighting to reject everything inside of it. Both legs seemed confused about which direction they were supposed to be going, but I had to keep looking. I had to keep my eyes on the picture. I had to keep the monster in the painting. Melissa and Gabby were waiting for me when I got back into my desk. It had left them dumped unceremoniously in the middle of the hallway. There was blood on the walls, on the doors, on the two sad forms flopped in the middle of the crimson carpeting. If I hadn't just got off the phone, If I didn't know what my wife and daughter looked like, I might have mistaken them for just a pair of sloppily painted-on additions to the whole scene. It left them for me to see. It was gone. I closed the picture and reopened it. Nothing changed. I closed the picture and reopened it. Nothing changed. It it was supposed to come from me. It was my curse. Not theirs. When I finished writing this, I'm going into my daughter's bedroom. I reattached the doorknob to her closet door earlier today. I'm so sorry, Gabby. Daddy loves you. I'm so sorry, Melissa. I'll see you both soon. Oh! <laughs> he went to PA. Is what <laughs> he, went to he went to Pennsylvania. He reattached the doorknob, and then it was like, oh, well, I'm done with that DIY
0: project. Yeah. Let me just go to PA. I'm not sure i we'll mix all of his movies in Pennsylvania. <clears throat> what uh, What do you think? I liked it. I thought it was fun. I remember reading it get and thoroughly, getting thoroughly spooked. Yeah, it was spooky. It made me uncomfortable. There were parts of it that made me uncomfortable that I thought... Um, uh, I I recently uh, quick-played Layers of Fear. Okay. Um, Do you like it? I did. Yeah, I liked it too. I did. Um, I don't think I've talked about it, but it was... Um, it was Jump Scare the Game. Yeah, it, it and, is. And... Uh, And I thought that got a little gimmicky after a while, but I really appreciated the art style, and I couldn't help but let my mind go there when uh, we were reading that story just now. Um, Just imagining the kind of, like, um, long, ugly hallways and that kind of, like, even the world, like, gets all painty and oily Mm -hmm. at points in the game, and that's immediately what I thought. And it was just very unnerving and also kind of, like, shining, like... Is also what I imagined, like a kind of pristine yet creepy looking hotel.
1: Yeah, there's a there's a Stephen King story about a uh, called the Road Virus moves north, and it's the same kind of idea. He gets a, a, a painting at an art auction, uh, at a, not an art auction, at a yard sale for this kid who like hung himself starts driving north and the painting starts like changing and it changes very incrementally but it's this guy in a trans am he's got like a tattoo on his shoulder he's got like a switchblade he's like a fucking punk and he's like he's got like a crazy smile and uh it zooms out and like shows him on the bridge or whatever and basically you find out that he's like on the bridge to like where this guy lives and then it goes and it kills his aunt and then it goes farther north and it goes into his house and it drags him out
0: wasn't it a part of the um graveyard shift compilation of stories
1: Yes, it was in one. Yeah,
0: I do believe I read that have Yeah, I do. I do like uh, Great Fifth.
1: Yeah, it was in one of his one of his short story things.
0: Um, just because I like ending all of Django's episodes with search and rescue. Django. Story, <laughs> just because I like ending all the episodes with search and rescue stories, we're gonna keep trying to do them. Just keep getting them done. Um, a lot of people really like these when they talk about your episodes. I think uh, one thing they always talk about is that like. Sometimes the episodes are, are good. Sometimes the episodes are a little slow. Yeah. But no matter what, they know they can always look forward to like a search and rescue story that kind of continues this like compilation effort. Right. This one is a continuation of the U.S. Forest Service stories found on Reddit No Sleep. Uh, but this one is under the um, assumed title of Ranger EW, as in initials EW, stories. Uh, it's one of the spinoff ones because we've already read the vanilla right. search and rescue. It's so, all, all of this, yeah, all of this is the added material.
1: They were out looking for this 11-year-old boy, Joey, who'd gone missing near a river. Of course, the first thought was that he'd fallen in and drowned, but when they brought dogs out, they led search and rescue officers away from the river and up to a very densely for... De- uh huh, huh, huh.
0: <laughs> You want me to start? No, I don't. <laughs> Here we go!
1: Ah. <laughs> Of course, the first thought was that he'd fallen in and drowned, but when they brought dogs out, they led search and rescue officers away from the river and up into a very densely forested area. When we do searches for people, we search in a grid pattern, and we search every box of the grid incredibly thoroughly. What EW's team noticed right away was that a very strange pattern was emerging. Dogs in alternating boxes were picking up Joey's scent, but losing it when they overlapped with another box. If you think of a checkerboard. Joey's scent was being picked up in random black squares, but never in red. This, of course, didn't make any sense, because how could the kid bounce from an area to an area without leaving a scent in each place he passed? EW and his partners pass into a new box of grid, and EW notices a set of stairs about 50 yards away. Fucking stairs.
0: you okay, come get your stairs.
1: He tells his partner that they need to go check it out, but his partner flat out refuses. He tells EW that he's made it a point never go near any stairs he sees, and that while it may be routine, he's not to pretend that it's normal. He tells EW that he'll wait in sight while EW checks. EW says he was irritated, but he felt for the guy, and he didn't push him on the subject. I walked over to the stairs. They were small, kind of like stairs in a basement. I don't really feel strongly one way or the other about them, stairs I mean, so I wasn't scared or anything. I guess I'm like everyone else, I just prefer not to think about them too much. Anyway, I went over and I could see that there was something lying on the bottom step, sort of curled up. My heart sinks, because of course you always hope for the best, and we were confident that we'd find this kid alive, because he'd only been missing for a few hours. But I knew right away that it was him, and that he was dead. He was curled up in a little ball on the step, holding his stomach. It looked like he'd be in horrible pain when he died, but I didn't see any blood, except some on his lips and chin. I radioed it in that I found him but got his body back to command. That poor family, they were devastated. The parents couldn't understand how he'd be dead, because he'd only been gone for such a short amount of time. And on top of that, we didn't have any obvious cause of death, which just made it worse. I figured he'd probably eaten something poisonous, since he was holding his stomach when I found him, but I didn't want to guess. It's hard enough to hear that your kid is dead, let alone have some stupid search-and-rescue guy guessing about what happened. They took him away, and I went home and tried not to think about it. I hate finding dead kids, man. I, I love this job, but it's one of the reasons I, I left. I got two daughters, and the thought of losing them that way just... He choked up a little here. I'm not great with emotional stuff like that, and it's always sort of awkward to see a grown man cry, so I didn't really know what to do. He pulled himself together eventually, though, and he kept going. We don't always hear back from the coroners about cause of death. It's not really our job to know, I guess, and, and sometimes if they think it's foul play, they won't tell us because of the legal bullshit. But I've got a friend who works for the Sheriff's Department, and he'll usually pass along any interesting info if I ask. In this case, though, I actually got a call from him about a week later. He asks if I remember the kid, and of course I do, and he says some seriously weird shit is going on. He tells me, EW, man, you're gonna think I'm crazy, but the coroner has no idea what happened to this kid. He's never seen anything like it. My friend goes on to tell me that when the coroner opened the kid up, couldn't even believe what he was seeing. The kid's organs were like Swiss cheese. Quarter-sized holes were punched clean through just about every single organ this kid had, aside from his heart and lungs. But his colon, his stomach, his kidneys, and even one of his testicles were full of these clean holes. My friend said the coroner described it as if someone had taken a hole punch and punched holes out of everything. They were so neat. But the kid didn't have a scratch on him. No entry or exit wounds. The closest anyone there had ever seen it was like a guy who'd filled himself full of buckshot a year or so back while cleaning his rifle. No one had a clue what could possibly cause it. My friend asked if I've ever heard of anything like that or if we had similar cases in the past, but I'd never heard of anything like that, and I told him I wasn't going to be of any help to him. As far as I know, the coroner determined the cause of death as something like massive internal bleeding, but no one knows what really happened. I've never been able to forget this kid. I have nightmares about it sometimes. I don't let my kids go into the woods alone, and when we go together, I never let them out of my sight. I used to love it out here, but that case and a couple others just sort of ruined it for me. Dinner was over, so we started to clean up and go back to our cabins. Before we went our separate ways, he put his hand on my shoulder and looked at me really close. He tells me there's bad things out here. Things that don't care if we have families or lives and that we can think and feel. He tells me to be careful, and he walks away. I didn't have a chance to talk with them again, but that story struck with me.
0: I like that one. Uh, I feel like it, um... What's that phobia of, like, small holes? Oh, yeah. My, uh, my mom messaged have it. I mean, it's gross. I don't like looking at it. I don't think anyone likes looking at like it. Like,
1: the the image of the frog? Like, those like underwater frogs? The, frog the eggs come out of fucking...
0: Fire. Yeah, I don't find Photoshop. that so much as creepy as when people, like, Photoshop it and skin change it to, like, match someone, they just put it on someone's whole face. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fucked up. Have you noticed weird noises going on throughout the house while we've been reading? Is it a ghost? I hope so. Oh, uh-huh. I just like the spooky vibes.
1: <laughs> um, I have. I, there has been more settling than normal. So thanks for fucking mentioning it, Dick. Now I'm gonna die.
0: Fuck this. All right. So I don't <laughs> want to die in PA. So I'm gonna. Uh. I'm just gonna read the <laughs> fucking Pennsylvania. Uh, so I'm gonna read the first of uh, Ranger PB. Stories. Uh, EW apparently only told one. So this is PB. And then he died. I think he just left.
1: Yeah, he just left. <laughs> <laughs>
0: he didn't he die. Just, he just quit. Uh, so this is gonna be the last story here on Laosaposha. Um, search and rescue story. PB. About seven years ago, he tells me, he was out on a call with a rookie. They were in an area of the park that had a lot of strange reports and events, disappearances, story about lights in the forest, odd noises, things like that. The rookie was totally spooked. Kept going on and on about things out in the woods. According to PB, the guy wouldn't stop talking about the goat man. Just on and on. Goat man this and goat man that. Finally, I told him that there was a plenty else to be afraid of out here that was very real, and that he'd better get over this thing with the goat man. The rookie wanted to know what kinds of things I was talking about, and I just told him to shut up and walk. We crested a little ridge. (laughs) There was a staircase about 10 yards ahead. The rookie stops dead in his tracks and just stands there looking at them. I tell him, see, that's something you should be afraid of. Rookie asks me what the hell these things are doing out here and for some reason, I just open up and tell him the truth or what I've been told is the truth. I could have gotten in a lot of trouble for doing what I did and I can get in a lot of trouble for repeating it to you. But you're a nice kid, and I want you to stop looking into this foot while you're ahead. So I'll tell you what I know, under the condition that you never breathe a word of this to the soups. I told him I wouldn't say a word, and he double-checks that our radios are off. When I first started out, we were a little less tight-lipped about them and other things that happen out here. We warned people before they were even hired that there was weird shit going on. I guess the Forest Service was tired of having such a massive turnover rate, and they wanted people to know what they were getting into, so they started having people sign these agreements that they wouldn't go to the media about what they were going to see. The FS didn't want to scare people away, so the last thing they needed were spooked rookies running off to the media with stories about ghosts and haunted stairs. but eventually they found that the agreements weren't necessary. People not only didn't want to talk about what they saw, they wouldn't. A few times, media tried to talk to people when our kids or hikers would disappear and no one would say a word. Can't really explain it. I guess we just don't really want to admit anything is wrong. This is our job, to be out in the woods every single day. We don't need to be spooked. And the best way to avoid that is to pretend like everything's okay. So I'll tell you everything I can think of and after that I'm done talking about it for good and I expect you to not bring it up around me, ever. The stairs have been out here as long as the parks have existed. We have records going back decades describing them. Sometimes people go up them and nothing happens. Other times, look, I really don't like talking about this, but sometimes really bad shit happens. I saw one guy get his hand sliced clean off when he got to the top step. He reached out to touch a tree ranch, and it happened so fast. One second his hand was there, and the next it was gone, completely clean wound. He didn't find his hand the guy almost died. Another time, a woman touched one of the stairs, and a blood vessel in her brain exploded. Literally exploded like a water balloon. She sort of stumbled down and came over to me, and all she got out was, I think something is wrong with me. She dropped like a sack of flour, dead before she hit the ground. I'll never forget the way the blood leaked out of the inside of her eye. Before she died, I watched it turn red, I watched it happen, and there wasn't a single thing I could do to help. We warn people. Not to go anywhere near them, but there's always at least one idiot who does and Even if nothing happens to them, something bad always happens. Kids go missing as we're on the trail. Someone dies the next day, cut in half in a completely safe part of the park. I don't know why, but something bad always happens. I don't know exactly why they're out there, but it doesn't matter. They're here, and if we're smart, we tell our new officers exactly what they're capable of. We were both quiet for a little while. I was afraid to talk because I wasn't sure if he was done. He looked like he wanted to say something else, and finally he spoke up again. Have you ever noticed how you can't find the same ones twice? I nodded, expecting him to continue, but he just stayed quiet. Walking alongside me, and eventually, he started a story about the biggest deer he'd ever seen in the park. I didn't bring up the subject again, and I didn't press him for any more stories. He dropped out of the op the next day. Apparently he left before the sun came up. He said he was sick. None of us have heard from him since he left.
1: What the fuck Why are the
0: stairs about, man? Stairs! Oh my god! Stairs! Come get the stairs, your stairs! Though? Forest sale! Forest stair sale! Come pick up your stairs!
1: <laughs> We're <laughs> having a mega blowout sale!
0: It's just a stairs! <laughs>
1: All forest stairs are fifty percent off. <laughs> get your fucking hand cut off! <laughs>
0: You want your hand? Fuck hands. Get Aneurism your stairs. Aneurysm stairs. stairs. Kid losing stairs. Normal stairs. We got Competent all kinds. stairs. We got all kinds of stairs. All your stairs. Oh, man. I, I don't know, but I like it. Yeah. I'll say that much. It's weird. It's weird and unexplainable, and therefore I enjoy it. Do you know what ha- would happen
1: if two of those stairs met each other in the forest?
0: They would make a smaller set of stairs together.
1: They'd have a staring contest. <laughs>
0: I don't want to do this it <laughs> <laughs> oh, <that's God>. good <laughs> staring contest I got it different it's a different kind of the word stare right that's where the, that's where the comedy comes in
1: <laughs> yeah that's where the humor the humor just hits you and it doesn't let go
0: I've been working on my Jeff Goldblum laugh from Jurassic Park oh okay <laughs> it's good, it's an open yeah no, no, <laughs> I love that that
1: part where he goes welcome to Jurassic Park. You know where he says that? What you got in there, King Kong? <laughs> <laughs> oh, good times. I got holes in different area codes. <laughs> That's exactly what yeah. he says. When now. he's <laughs> in the pterodactyl exhibit.
0: <laughs> it's funny, because in Lost World, he describes how many ex-wives he has. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of like he is saying he's got those in different area codes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, shit. So this was lots of pasta with Django Phillips. Django. And Captain Death, I hope you had a fun time listening to us. Um, anything you wanted to add? Fuck stairs. <laughs> I don't like them.
1: Put an elevator in your house. You're going to die. <laughs> st- your stairs in your house are going to kill you. <laughs>
0: what if elevators started appearing in the woods? <laughs> oh, oh, God. <laughs> Where do they go? Elevators Who need knows? a shaft, though. Who don't know? they? Exactly. These are just elevators in the <sighs> woods. Elevators. Don't press any buttons.
1: Fuck that. <laughs> Just make sure you live in a one-story house.
0: (laughs) For the rest of your life. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun. Thanks
1: for listening, folks. Fuck you guys.